0: You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast.
1: This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Green Chef. Go to greenchef.com slash 60 Log and use code 60, that's the number 60, 60 Mission Log to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. greenchef.com slash 60 log. And use code 60 mission log for plus 20% off your next two months.
2: This episode is also sponsored by Rocket Money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash mission log. That's rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Rocketmoney.com slash mission log.
0: Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 515, Hunters.
1: Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau.
2: And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we tune into the transmissions, no matter what the danger, to see if we can decode the messages from far away and long ago. Are there morals, meanings, and messages in those Star Trek episodes? And do they stand the test of time? This week, Hunters.
1: The one in which the Voyager crew gets letters from home, but they're also being hunted down by ferocious killers, so that kind of puts a damper on things. I'll be right back
2: with trivia after Norman tells all of you how to reach us.
1: Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at Roddenberry.com and join us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember, your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. And now here's John Champion with this week's fresh kill. That is
2: trivia. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Sounds so dangerous. All right. uh, This week's episode, Hunters, was written by Jerry Taylor. You have to go back early in season four with Day of Honor for Jerry's most recent episode of Voyager on which she gets the full writing credit. She's only got two more to go as we come up toward the end of Jerry's run as executive producer of the series. But don't worry. We will check in with Jerry's contributions again. This was directed by David Livingston. He's still the man to beat with the most Star Trek credits to his name. Most recently, we discussed his directing work for a Scientific Method, and he'll be back again very shortly for Voyager's continued journey through the Delta Quadrant. Hey, we have that uh, relay station model, and, well, we've seen variations on this before. Go back to one version in the pilot episode, and who can forget the station that appeared in, oh, what was the episode? Cold fire! And rather than exploding it, we get a pretty impressive CG implosion of this model. Don't worry, the physical one survived. And let's meet our guest stars, two of note here. Welcome back to Tiny Ron. We just saw him last week in Message in a Bottle as a Herojin, and we get a lot more of him this week. He is joined by another Herojin played as a subordinate by Roger Morrissey. And he's a good pairing for Tiny Ron because Roger comes in at seven foot four inches, making our Herojin pretty intimidating. He got his start in front of the camera in the 90s, and this role is pretty early on in his career. Owing not a small part to his size, Roger has had numerous appearances in horror movies, in fact, no fewer than three times with director Rob Zombie. You've caught him perhaps a couple of times on Buffy and Power Rangers, but this so far is his only appearance on Star
0: Trek. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. It's time to meet your new enemies. Good news, they're into finger-painting.
2: Prologue. There's an air of excitement on Voyager as a faint, garbled message from Starfleet ekes its way from one of the Herogian communications relays. It's still too far away, which means Janeway will have to risk the ire of their potential new enemies and get a little closer to collect the whole thing. Cut to the interior of a Hirogen ship, and the commander is none too pleased that Voyager is still out there. He paints a battle stripe on his helmet and orders an intercept course. Act 1. Speculation abounds, and the bridge crew try to figure out what message awaits them. Maybe Starfleet has figured out a way to get them home. A technological breakthrough? A wormhole? Who knows? More important, there are a lot of families back home who are probably relieved to know that Voyager has been found, even if far away. Even Seven of Nine is hard at work, much to the concern of the doctor, using the astrometrics lab to try to decode any of the slowly incoming message. Voyager is then rocked by a gravimetric disturbance emanating from the relay station. It's still far away, though, and in the meantime, a derelict alien ship drifts into their path. There's one alien aboard, dead, and when his remains are beamed to sickbay, it appears to have been, well, filleted by something. Seven is familiar with the end result, having encountered members of a species who met the same unfortunate end, But she doesn't know who perpetrated it. The body, such as it is, will be returned to its ship as Voyager moves onward toward the relay. When they arrive, the station is very, very old, about a 100,000 years. There's nobody aboard, and Harry Kim has picked up the source of those gravimetric eddies. The station is powered by a singularity, a tiny black hole, very impressive, but Voyager will need to keep its distance. Janeway heads to Astrometrics, where Seven should be having an easier time downloading the message. As it comes in, it quickly becomes clear that the message, many of them, aren't simply Starfleet orders, they are personal letters from home. Act Two. Those messages keep pouring in, some slower than others, and Neelix is given the task of delivering those to each intended crew person. At the same time, Seven uncovers an encrypted data stream potentially containing maps hiding within those messages, and she'll do her best to uncover that as well. Seven seems nonplussed by the work, but Janeway gives her a pause by mentioning the possibility that Seven has family she may not even know back on Earth. On the bridge, Neelix delivers a message to Chakotay from an old friend, the person who recruited him into the Maquis. It seems to give him concern, and he excuses himself. The next stop for Neelix is Tuvok's quarters. There's a message from his family on Vulcan, and it contains the good news that Tuvok is now a grandfather. In engineering, Chakotay shares his news with Balana, a letter that revealed that the Maquis have been wiped out. It's devastating, and Balana can only react in anger. In the mess hall, The scuttlebutt is that more letters have been downloaded. Harry is anxious and excited while Tom plays it off with cool indifference. When Neelix enters with the latest haul, neither Harry nor Tom are included, leaving Harry dejected and Tom right where he was with no hopes and no disappointments. As Voyager stays at a safe distance from the relay station, the messages stuck there are starting to degrade. Seven suggests that a shuttle could get closer, and she gets the okay to go there along with Tuvok. With Seven away, Harry drops into astrometrics to find Bolana working on data retrieval. After the initial barbing about Harry's crush on Seven, Bolana gently lets him down about what's really important. No message for him yet from home. But she knows he'll get one. He just needs to be patient. On their way to the relay station, Seven asks Chakotay if his presence on this mission is because Janeway doesn't trust her. But the Vulcan explains Starfleet protocol that two are always recommended. They complete part of their mission, firing a Polaron burst at the station to stop the signal degradation. But as soon as they do, the shuttle is rocked by fire from an incoming vessel. Their systems are compromised, and a Hirogen ship closes in fast. Act three shields on the shuttle are compromised and as they are pulled in by a tractor beam Tuvok manages to fire off a distress beacon back on Voyager, Bolano lets Tom know that he's got a message coming Tom is still uninterested the truth of the matter is that as the message emerges it's from his father, Admiral Owen Paris, and in a moment of honesty, Tom says he's got it better on Voyager than he ever did at home, he's got real mixed feelings about this Belana's sympathy only goes so far when she reveals what she's been through today, hearing about her lost fellow Maquis. The two embrace, realizing they're both emotionally exposed. Speaking of, Chakotay goes into the captain's ready room with a status update on the away mission. The shuttle itself isn't on sensors, but stabilizing the relay was a success. So they figure they have some time to wait this out, and Janeway says she'd like to explore this mysterious hundred-thousand-year-old station and the secrets it contains. Maybe she's not in a rush to get home either. The letter she got, she reveals, was from her fiancé back on Earth, Mark. He resigned himself some time ago to losing Janeway along with Voyager. He married one of his co-workers, and that leaves Janeway feeling a bit lost, perhaps. Sad for sure. A call to the bridge interrupts their conversation. Harry has picked up the distress beacon and found Voyager shuttle, but nobody is on board. Act 4 Interior of the Horogen ship. Well, now we know what happened to the bones of that poor alien from earlier. Bones, nets, and various weapons make up the majority of the space, as if Architectural Digest insisted this was going to be the look for the next season. Trapped in it all are Tuvok and Seven of Nine. Their captor, the lead Hirogen, enters to inspect his prey, who, in his estimation, are puny. He wants to know what they were up to, but when Tuvok tries to explain their use of the communications relay, the Hirogen quickly shifts to the threat of hunting down Voyager and the rest of the crew. The second Hirogen enters, informing the first that they have spotted Voyager and should wait until their fellow hunters arrive, but the first is ready to begin the hunt now and claim his prize. Meanwhile, on Voyager, they've spotted the Hirogen ship and confirmed that Seven and Tuvok are on board. Janeway opens a communication channel with them, but the Hirogen are not interested in negotiation. If Voyager won't leave, they'll be destroyed. And with that, three more Hirogen ships approach, and Voyager goes to red alert. Act 5. The two Hirogen bicker a little over the first plan to slice open his captured prey and save their bones as relics while the other ships pursue Voyager. But on Voyager, knowing that they are outgunned by the Hirogen, Janeway crafts a plan to use the relay station to their advantage. They'll aim an anti-Thoron burst at the station to destabilize the singularity that powers the thing. That should create a gravitational well that will trap and disable the Hirogen ships, They do, and it does, and it's a balancing act of protecting Voyager from the pull of gravity while also locking onto Tuvok and Seven to beam them back aboard. And the timing on that could not have been better, since in their disruption, Tuvok had gained just enough ground to fight back a little, but the Hirogen are getting even more aggressive now and firing on Voyager. That alone is causing their effect on the station to grow more severe, and Janeway calls on them to stop firing. Too late, though. The structure collapses, and with the singularity released, it starts crushing those Hirogen ships like tinfoil. The ship Tuvok and Seven are in looks doomed, too, but Harry manages to lock a transporter on them. They're back, and with a little effort, Voyager manages to break free of the gravitational pull they just unleashed. The station is destroyed, of course, and that sent an energy burst that wrecked every other station on the Hirogen mesh network. Bellana was able to pull down a few more messages before it all stopped, though, including the encoded message from Starfleet, which will take some time to piece together. Harry finally got a letter from his parents, but the one from Admiral Paris to Tom didn't make it. Bellana suggests that in this case, Tom should assume the best. Tuvok briefs Janeway on their encounter with the Hirogen. They should be considered very dangerous and amoral to boot, then Chicote enters the ready room to give an update and to check in on Janeway. She, the crew, the ship, have been through a lot, not to mention the personal nature of Janeway's letter from Mark on top of it all. She'll be fine, though. She reflects that the idea of Mark may have been an excuse to keep her on task and not involved in a relationship while she's in the Delta Quadrant. But that's no longer a concern. And there are plenty of other things to keep her busy. Then arm-in-arm Janeway and Chakotay head to the mess hall for Neelix's party. The end.
1: So, John, uh, you and I are going arm-in-arm into Neelix's party. Where you left off from your fantastic synopsis?
2: (laughs) Well, thank you. But I hope, though, I want to stop by my quarters and uh, slip into some of those cool Voyager uh, civilian clothes. Because they've oh, got totally. it. They've got it better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Too bad absolutely. we didn't get to yeah. then cut to that party. That would have been the way to end it. Um, John, you're the Tuvok's pajamas. You are the Tuvok's <laughs> pajamas, sir. That was nice. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Um, as we open beautiful shots of space and those nebula, I mean, that looked fantastic, right? Yeah. I think that when, when Foundation
1: came over in Year of Hell Part 1 and 2 – yeah You saw a market difference, or you're seeing a market difference in just the visual quality the visual effects quality. It's really really good,
2: yeah, yeah um really like how we pick up directly from last week, and you know we we could beat this dead horse over and over again about whether it's better to have a serialized show or an episodic show, and obviously Voyager got the mandate to be episodic, but you have this overarching mission that is the show, and I like to see those things acknowledged from week to week. So There kind is a is, mandate, though, right, from
1: Rick yeah. Berman that it was supposed to be individual and not serialized?
2: It, it seems like, you know, that, that's something that we'll have to talk to our writer-producer friends about because where exactly that came from, um, ultimately whether it was uh, uh, UPN or right. if it was a decision that Rick made or some agreement thereof, it, it came down, and it came down hard. But then it seems like they got to loosen that up a bit at some point. And I'm glad they. I like here. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Look, I, I'm, I, I just I can't help myself. I'm going to point out funny technology issues in this episode, like, like static and slowly loading email. So bear with me. I know some of you probably don't want to hear it, but just bear with me. So first thing, yes, a garbled digital message wouldn't have static. Someone pointed that out to me a long time ago, and it stuck with me. But, uh, okay, moving on, because there will be more funny technology <laughs> observations as we go.
1: So, uh, judging by, like, the trophy skulls and the Herogian armor designs, like, I think someone on staff is a a pretty fairly large Predator fan. Yes. You know, because the aesthetic is so close to that IP, it's almost trademark infringement yeah i mean honestly
2: i know that was very close but but pretty cool you know yeah Uh, i i love captain obvious tuvok here uh technology Mm. could get us home like like really wow what a what a bit of deductive reasoning seeing as how uh tuvok uh, last time i checked you you make your living on a spaceship so yes yeah Yeah, I think technology could potentially get you home. Mm -hmm. It's
1: that vaunted Vulcan logic. It is. Uh, Let's see. So when when Chakotay said to Janeway that people back home, quote unquote, found some kind of resolution. (laughs) Do you think so? Lisa Klink wrote this. Uh, Oh, no, Jerry did. Jerry Taylor. I'm sorry. Jerry Jerry Taylor wrote this. And so do you think Jerry was going all the way back to season two's resolutions and just – I've, throwing I'm throwing an
2: Easter egg out to the crowd. I'm glad that? you brought it up. I'm pretty sure I put resolutions in my notes somewhere too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Okay. And wow. Seven of nine hasn't slept. Well, she hasn't regenerated in 58 hours. That's, that's really right. interesting to illustrate how bored she is compared to how human she is. And yes, no wonder her earth recites are down her red blood count. That would be, but she'd be anemic at that point. So yeah.
1: Well, I thought it was interesting that we're going down this arc with Seven because she mm. said, and kind of snapped at the doctor, she said, this message is important to the captain. Mm. And she mm. delivers it with a really interesting, different tone. Like, she's not aloof about it. So I'm oh, just wondering yeah. if this is kind of like the start of a a different huh. emotional arc for her. Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah. I See, I think it could be that. I also think that there's like the... The recognition of being in a pecking order. So even though the Borg are all one big collective, they're mm-hmm. also taking orders and giving orders, even if the the source of those orders might be from like, you, you have to, you still have to be the cog in that machine, right? So Janeway, to her eyes, would be Borg queen-ish? Maybe, Maybe mm, yeah. interesting, yeah. But, and of course, now we're, we're sort of back to the doctor 's own smug ego, not, not, not quite like <laughs> last week where he, right. he kind of stepped up to the challenge now he's just ready to you know get in his uh, his comments. OK, but let's see here. back to the technology thing. You can squeeze a whole holographic program down that pipe, but literally like text coming through <laughs> is causing a problem here. Just look, just beam the doctor over to the station. That, that's my yeah. thing because apparently you can send a hologram anywhere just do that hey doctor we're going to beam you over get the stuff come back see ya see I think that's the hardest thing like being in the era that we're at with, with Voyager even
1: in the 90s and kind of like extrapolating our technology today to yeah. what it should be in the next 400 years it's you, they didn't future proof obviously no no right yeah. and how can you but yeah. with 1960 you know with the original series and with uh, the next generation it was future proofed up to a point yeah Right? <laughs> yes. But now everything's moving so quickly. One thing that isn't future-proof, though, is physics, right? You know, so mm-hmm. physics is always future-proofed. Right. Um, and the physics in this episode, not so much because I, I have a problem with
2: like, ongoing flames happening in the vacuum of space. <laughs> Look, I, Norman, I am certain that you saw Battlestar Galactica, uh, the episode Fire in Space. So, uh, How dare I, you sir, I, I rest my case. Mm-hmm. How dare you? <laughs> All right, yes, I did, and you're absolutely right. Uh,
1: <laughs> case closed. The flayed alien carcass. Oh, uh, flayed alien carcass is our oh, uh, yeah, um, for today. Yeah, yeah, very good band name. Right? Mm-hmm. Put that right next to thrombic modulator. Yeah, again, with a predator reference because that's what predators did. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, maybe Herogen mm-hmm. is uh, some kind of alien, you know, translation for predator. predator. I don't know, right? Yeah, um. Also, you being the Doctor Who fan that you are, so yep. a black hole or a singular, or quantum singularity as a power source, what yeah. are these aliens? Are they Time Lords? <laughs> yeah. Because right? that's literally like how Time Lord technology, TARDIS technology is powered thanks to Omega all yep. the way back as, as explained in what was it? The Five Doctors, I think it
2: was. I, I think so. That is how they do it. And yeah. don't forget uh, Romulans. They, uh, they power at least one of their ships with a singularity. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, So that's pretty cool. Oh, God. Okay, look, indulge me again. Just indulge me while I tech the show's tech just one more time here. Uh, Not the Mm -hmm. last time. (laughs) Neelix has to deliver each message on a Mm. pad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, again, Neelix has to hand deliver each message on its own individual dedicated pad. And, And wait, the messages are... Visible to Neelix, <laughs> as we will soon find out. Doesn't the ship have a local network? Like, even if even if your internet connection is down, isn't your local Wi-Fi still up? And, and people could just download their messages privately in their quarters. I'm going to suggest that at the next staff meeting.
1: I mean, the pads are an interesting thing. They've always been an interesting thing, just in terms of like the technology and what it stands for. I mean, you and I have been talking about like our our love for iPads and things like yeah, that. Yeah. But like this goes hand in hand with some of the the, the fun that we poked in Deep Space Nine where, like, Major Kira was, like, hip-deep in pads because she has to hand out duty rotations. Yes. yeah. Duty rotations are probably, like, what, 20, 30 people? <laughs> right. On right. a pad. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's about, like, six inches tall. It's about, like, half an inch thick, and it contains, like, no data.
2: Yeah. You, <laughs> right? you could text that to everybody all day long for nothing. Yeah, I think I think what's kind of sweet about this, though, mm-hmm. um, if
1: I'm going to put a positive spin on it, not like your fire in space, <laughs> right? Yes, it's nice to see mail call. Mail call is so yeah. important. It's like in the in the DNA of yeah. really good drama. We go all the way back to like war films when people would get like mail from loved ones or yeah. you know bad news or good news, but just news cookies.
2: Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll definitely come back to that as a familiar refrain. I'm sure. I
1: love mail call. Anyone who's like on a summer camp or has been away from home, you got to love mail.
2: Oh, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. Yeah. I really like this moment with Janeway and seven and the prospect of seven having family on earth. Now I know, I know, I know that we don't jump the timeline on this podcast, but it does leave this intriguing question about the possible paths that seven's life could take in the future like Mm -hmm. not only getting back to earth but wait there is potentially these other levels of connection and discovery for her so just leaving that there all right and yeah once again a technology note here just turn off preview on your messages because neelix is all up in your business so do that yeah and then uh oh jane wake is oh hi mark (laughs) <laughs> uh, she, she, that's the message she gets come back to that in a moment um, Voyager the room them, right? <laughs> right right <laughs> very good callback to the Maquis because it's not just a Maquis it's something that has an earned emotional resonance and also a good earned reaction from Balana. I'm glad it wasn't one note I'm glad that we come back to that later too
1: how did a Maquis letter get into the Starfleet's mailbag that's that's kind of like mm. you know I, mm-hmm. I you know I'm sure that there are ways of doing it, but you would think that Starfleet intelligence would be scrubbing communications for any kind of Maki translation or, or transmission. And I'm just wondering if it's like okay, so we hear that Voyager's back. Yeah, you know, we can communicate with them. Chakotay and Balana and maybe others are there. I'm going to risk everything to send them this message that all of our people have been slain by the Dominion.
2: Well, it was worth the risk. uh, Yeah, but I mean, I I guess think of it this way if the Maquis truly are completely wiped out, the Maquis are no longer a threat. And if this is an ex Starfleet who was Maquis, that ex Starfleet person, uh, somebody without a home, may have reintegrated back to Federation space. So possibly, you know? P.S. Hal Seska. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. Hey, uh, a Ebolian. more bullions, please. Always totally. love to see a in there. Mm-hmm. I I love the mail
1: call scene, but mm-hmm. it almost seemed like Neelix didn't know some of these people. Yeah, he's been, he's right. been on board. <laughs> he's just calling names. Years. Yeah, well, we don't um, know him either. Yeah, I do like hearing Nicoletti's name. Like Nicoletti, you're the one who turned down Tom Paris, but played you know uh, played clarinet. With, uh-huh. with, uh huh. You know, with Harry, so yep. yeah, Ice Queen, you. I so, love yeah. it, love well, it. That's funny. Um, I do love the deflection that uh, that Tom was giving Harry about the letters, yeah, right? You know, something was up, um, but I thought that I have lots to say about
2: about Robbie's performance in this episode, yeah. This is just one of those scenes, also comes with payoff. So glad, totally. glad yeah, to catch absolutely. all of that, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, and then we cut to astrometrics, Balana, Balana, Balana. like give it a rest, look. Harry's pathetic, we all know that we all know that with the whole seven of nine thing, but listen, you're not making it better, okay, so let's just let's just zip it from now on, all right, well, with all due respect,
1: you yeah. know to Jerry on it's it's not that Harry's pathetic, the writing is
2: no uh, that's right? yeah, yeah, they, they don't know how to handle this at all and and give him a bit of dignity to walk out of this <laughs> you know
1: and and this is one of those situations where if I'm going to level your critique here mm-hmm. uh, it's you take you take kind of like the. The uh, misappropriation of these resources in terms of minutes and production, and you put it into something that I think should have been more meaningful, and that's exploring more of the reaction of the crew. What that, that scene mm. with Harry did yeah. nothing for nobody. Nope. Nope. Right? Not a thing. Yeah. Um, when Janeway said it's not her quote unquote custom to send just one person on an away mission, mm-hmm. um, maybe protocol would have been a better word instead of custom. You know, because mm, custom mm-hmm. is like, that's Janeway's choice, but protocol is Starfleet's choice.
2: Tuvok does say it is recommended. so Right.
1: But I think the ambiguity with yeah. like what Janeway said, like, you know, seven like, oh, it's Starfleet protocol that two people go on, as opposed to Janeway's, yeah. you know, her desire or yeah. you know, just her custom. I don't know. Um, Obviously, it was leading into the the storyline between, you know,
2: Seven looking, seeking for Janeway's approval. Sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which which plays nicely, you know. Uh, Interesting little uh, bit of clarification that the Vulcans can lie. It's just not prudent. And they'll do it under orders, <laughs> as we have seen um and, and I do like how all of that plays out with uh I'm going to say you know your interesting assessment that she's looking for Janeway's approval. I also like this bit of Seven's ego being at stake a bit here, uh, and that's something she's exploring also just uh, mm-hmm. a little script note, very long act two <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> but I think they found the right places to create the the mini cliffhangers. Yeah. The
1: interesting thing, though, and to sidebar this, is mm-hmm. the acceptance of the ego in a board. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Because you know, I, I probably... think she doesn't
2: know what to do with it. She doesn't recognize right. that it's ego. It's just right. a thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so the tractor beam, the the tractor beam that catches the shuttle. I always thought that when you're in a tractor beam, like everything is tractored. But then, the sh- like you know, the shuttle poops
2: out the right you know, the, beacon, the little the beacon, yeah,
1: and it gets away. I'm yeah. like, well, okay, that's, yeah. that's I don't know. Yeah,
2: tractored. we we got to we got to give them that, or or yeah. they'd have to come up with another way to explain how they how they find them. Still, still the uh, technology. Okay, it cracks me up, Tom. <laughs> okay, here we are now. Here we are now. Right, Tom, you're getting a message. Who's it from? Well, we can't tell yet. <laughs> like, yeah. like, it's part of the header, isn't it? Can you just view the source? It, it, there's not a picture attached, is there? If it says two, like, literally, it's all you got that downloaded to Tom Paris from. Uh, oh, it just it, it stopped
1: right there. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I'm wondering, like, how everyone translated this scene from your understanding and format of emails.
0: Yeah, right? So yeah, it's like yeah. the two
1: – like, wait a second, Tom. It's coming in backwards. We have BCC. Oh, no one there. We have C. Oh, no <laughs> one there. We have RE. Had, oh, we're just going to have to wait. Yeah.
2: yeah. Oh, oh, it's it's just uh-huh. a, it's another email from a Nigerian prince uh, yeah, the Nigerian asking prince. for money. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Asking for you know the, all those quatloos. Right. I loved that scene. I loved Robbie's performance in that entire yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah his relationship with Dadmiral. That's right. I'm coining that.
2: Ooh, Dadmiral.
1: Dad Dad I love it. Yeah. We have Dadmiral. I'm not sure. I'm sure Dadmiral's popped up, but I'm owning it for this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure.
2: And I love the shift we get in that scene because there, there's Tom's inner turmoil and then there's Bolana's news and the reconciliation that they have to find with each other for that. All, all of it played very nicely. Yeah. Like, it might be a little too neat for a, such a short scene, but it was... All I think handled very well, and then followed by an outstanding scene with Janeway and Chakotay. Yeah,
1: Kate is really good at the the, the quiet moments, the nuanced moments. You know, where you're just yeah. reading her face, i.e., Janeway's face. It's it's really, really quite extraordinary how good she yeah. is uh, in those moments. Mm-hmm. Going back to the Herogian uh, ship, the aesthetic, the decor. Nets, bones, <laughs> weapons. Uh-huh. Again, oh, someone, is, yeah. someone in the production department really loved
2: Predator. There's really strong design choices yeah. there. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I love those uh, Hirogen Bane masks that they're wearing. Uh, <laughs> very interesting look. And I, I'm already much more interested in them than I ever was the Kazon. I think that this, so this is going to get that out One there.
1: of those occasions, though, when you have such extreme downlighting, spotlighting, it can be tricky lighting mm-hmm. that set. Because in, oh, in, in yeah. complete honesty, I thought it made the Herogian armor look rubbery and plasticky. It did. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was a bad lighting choice because it looked a little low budget. Now, I think if it was a little bit more obscure and left things a little bit more to the imagination, I think the heroes would have been a little bit more intimidating.
2: So I agree with you. I think it would have been effective had you stepped down the camera just a little bit Mm -hmm. and kept them a little darker, a little more mysterious. But you also got some really good shots when finally you do get light on Seven and on Tuvok. At making them stand out, it, it makes it like very uncomfortable, mm. uh, which I thought was effective. So, yeah, it, it's a little tricky uh, today. I think the Herojin, uh, obviously, that armor would look very different if you were doing it now true, true, <laughs> than, than back then. Yeah. I, I wonder how long the Herogen can last as a species, uh, if their only mode of interaction is hunting and fighting. Like, who builds ships? We don't know. Those, those relay stations were 100,000 years old. We don't know if Herogen built them. Did they just take them over from somebody else? Because they seem, you know, it's like the mirror universe. They, they just like to kill anything in their path.
1: Yeah. Kazon, maybe. They're, ho- they're like, maybe. they're wannabe be yeah. Herogen.
2: They, yes. Right. Yeah. They, they're not quite good enough in so many ways. <laughs> uh, uh 4,000 Ketrix, uh, nice to see an alien species with their own units of measurement. We don't get that all the time. Did kelicams
1: pop into your head?
2: I, it, it, absolutely kelicams popped into my head. <laughs> it, I was trying to figure out what's the conversion rate between <laughs> Ketrix and kelicams. <laughs> <laughs> In those scenes, I love how tiny Jerry and Tim look next to our huge Herogian. This is very effective. Get that camera up high. And uh, without even getting there, without actually even the, the threat becoming physical, just hearing the threat of what will happen to Seven and Tuvok, very gruesome. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and the weapon yeah. was interesting too. Uh, it was funny when when Tuvok grabbed like one of like basically the flaying knife from the uh, yeah the Hirogen. I wish he like yelled out there could be only one, and then he like slashes them across the throat, which he did. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the Hirogen, of course, they're armored and they're wearing a they have a gorget. Uh, they do. across their yeah. their throat. Of course, they do. Why wouldn't they? Right. So,
2: but man, I I am here for it. Tuvok is going to work. He went literally for the throat he, on that. He did. Right? He did. And it is so cool to see him just go commando mode against those Hirogen. Commando I I am, I am here for it. Absolutely. And then, of course, Voyager about to take a beating. And shouldn't someone else be downloading messages so I can get back to engineering? She's still in there like, uh, Tom, it's it's one letter. <laughs> it's, uh. Two two letters that says hi. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I got for you. Love dah um, da. waiting for one <laughs> right. last letter.
1: Yeah. Right, okay. right.
2: And, and like I'm not saying that Harry Kim can't do it, but this is one of those times that you'd think that Voyager would have a transporter chief. Or two. I just think keep training people for other jobs as long as you have all this time out in the Delta Quadrant. Right. That would be a good idea. And nice ending scene. With the famous coffee line. I couldn't remember where that came from about it being the finest organic suspension. And Janeway, I agree.
1: Did that, that was like all the way back in like season one. When was that episode where there were like a uh, the, the, the Voyager was mirroring itself, you know, in this nebula? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have
1: Janeway and Chakotay with these unspoken non-resolutions, right? Uh, uh, there we are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I felt, though, at least here, that they felt more like best friends as opposed to having this other subtext in a relationship. I know the JC Shippers loved it, but it seemed different this time.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, my friend. How about you put a pin in it, and uh, we come back to that
0: in the next segment. When everyone is done with their pads, please return them to Neelix. No fair hanging onto them and playing Dig Dug Walking Down the Corridor.
2: we'll get right back to hunters after a word from this week's sponsors hey if i came up to you in the middle of the street promise i wouldn't do that actually but if i came up to you and i said um hey how many subscriptions do you have and more importantly how many have you forgotten about would you even be able to answer that with any reasonable accuracy norman have said how many subscriptions do you have right now tell me right now how, how many you got I, I, you just you're gonna be stuck right Forty-seven. That's the magic number. That's the magic number. Yeah. Right. No, but
1: I, honestly, I, I I wouldn't know. Like yeah. I really don't.
2: Yeah, you wouldn't know. And the problem is the more of those that you don't know about, the more of those that you forget about, that's just like money flying, just flying right out of your account because you have no idea where it's going. Well, I know where it's going. It's going to all these subscriptions that you've forgotten about. So think about it. You've got streaming services. You've got fitness apps. You have delivery services. You have uh, parenting apps. I mean, so many of these. I'm guilty of this. I've, I have had premium delivery services for uh, like not just food, but uh, like retail establishments, I have multiple of those going that I forgot about, even though I set a reminder, and I still forgot about it. And then, then I found two simultaneous uh, streaming services, both subscribed to. At my parents' house, they didn't know that they had two of the same one going at the same time. So, yes, that's where Rocket Money comes in to help you find the subscriptions that you're spending money on. And let me tell you, that will really open your eyes. And then you get to cancel the ones that you don't want anymore.
1: I mean, in today's streaming world with all these different apps that are accessible on so many different platforms, sometimes there are redundancies when you want to sign in somewhere and you don't remember your password or your email, then you want to create a new account. But the thing is, is that your credit card or your banking information is still the same. So now you have these duplicate accounts. So what Rocket Money does, it's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, and it monitors your spending, and it helps lower your bills. So we all need that from time to time because we want to save money, and we don't want to spend it willy-nilly. So you can see on Rocket Money, you can see, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap in the app. I never have to get on the phone with customer service, and it helps expedite the process because the sooner you save money, the better it is for you, me, all of us. Mm-hmm. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money, and they'll try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. Uh, incredible. Ha- I mean, that's, that's a really yeah. good savings on top of the things that you're just canceling, so you don't have to spend more money or waste more money. All you have mm-hmm. to do, take a picture of your bill, and
2: Rocket Money takes care of the rest. It's that easy, and the numbers always shock me. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped those users save an average average people of $720 a year. Think what you could do with that. That's over 500 million dollars in canceled subscriptions. So listen, stop wasting money on the things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/missionlog. That's rocketmoney.com/missionlog. rocketmoney.com/missionlog. Now, Norman, if uh, you or anybody else are familiar enough with what we do here on Mission Log and what I like to talk about on Mission Log, well, yeah, we talk about Star Trek a lot. Easily every third show, I go off on a tangent about food, and that's why I'm glad that we get to welcome Green Chef to Mission Log as a sponsor.
1: We're very excited because Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh and with a wider array of meal plans to choose from. There's something for everyone. Now, I love switching between the brands, and now our listeners can
2: enjoy both brands at a discount with us. That's awesome. Yes, we have talked glowingly about HelloFresh. This just expands your options, expands your palate a bit, and Green Chef makes eating well easy with plans that fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto or paleo, or vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a range of recipes to suit your preferences. By the way, uh, I'm still waiting for my box to come. We'll have it very soon. I opted for the Mediterranean diet plan, and it looks very good. A lot of fresh veggies. Really looking forward to that.
1: One of the things that we love about this plan are the health benefits that go along with the food. So Green Chef delivers whole food for your whole body. They're committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. That's really important when you think about it. We have to be more conscious about what we put in our bodies just as much as they prepare the food. Choosing Green Chef means choosing real, wholesome foods that just don't fill you up but also support a healthy lifestyle. It's more than just satisfying hunger. It's about feeling good with every bite. And at the beginning of this new year, we're on these programs to do the right things, to eat right, to, to feel better, to do the right things for our body. This is that one step. Green Chef's new gut and brain health meal plan includes a mouthwatering array of nutritious dinners, clean snacks, and functional drinks crafted to actively support the well-being of your gut, and enhance cognitive health. I don't think, John, enough people know how important gut health really is to just basically your overall mood, your energy, your well-being, just just in general,
2: directly connected to everything. It's all about the biome. Look it up. Mm. Um, and let's talk about variety because that is super important to me uh, with any meal plan, any type of my uh, you know food passion. So you can embark on a delicious culinary adventure this year with Green Chef's diverse menu. Each week, choose from more than eighty. Flavor-packed options, easily customize your meals to suit your lifestyle with preferences, again, like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, that's the one that I got, gluten-free, protein-packed, goes on and on. And Green Chef offers unique farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins. Savor Green Chef's seasonally-inspired recipes where we celebrate the peak ingredients, flavors, and freshness of every season so make this year's resolutions a breeze build healthy habits the easy way in 2024 with nutritious recipes from the number one meal kit for clean eating let green chef take the
1: work out of eating clean with chef crafted nutritionist approved recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables organic cage-free eggs and sustainably sourced seafood Go to GreenChef.com slash 60 missionlog. That's the number 60, 60 mission log, and use code 60 missionlog to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. Take 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you go to GreenChef.com slash 60 mission log and use code 60 mission log.
2: Let's talk a little more about Tom Paris and maybe Tom and Bolana. You mentioned it in the last segment about how you really pinpointed Robbie's performance as being quite good in this. And uh, I, I liked it quite a bit, too. And I like what we get out of him with Balana. I felt like they, they had many moments that were very real for both of them. And we got some emotional arcs out of them, which you, you don't always get on Star Trek. He says in that mess hall scene with Harry Kim, "No hopes, no disappointments," mm-hmm. and that's that's this like really sad, disconnected way of looking at one's life. Now, also, I, I think there is some truth to it for him that is his uh, emotional barrier, if you will, to prevent himself from feeling hurt. Uh, with what he uh, what he assumes is going to be uh, a message that will not lift his spirits, and then he really does just spell out the truth of his situation when he says, "What I have on Voyager is so much better than anything i ever had back there meaning at at in at, at home at, at earth mm-hmm. and I really love that moment you know we we 've talked about how characters on star trek there there 's this pervasive theme about friends being the family that you choose and these crews coming together to be families together which sounds very nice but then you think well but but is there a cost Uh, are are these people who maybe are suffering some emotional damage from families that didn't support them they didn't feel loved by and i think tom is one of the very few characters that we've actually been able to explore that with any precision you know we we got that from spock for sure but we just kind of touched on it like oh his dad's not the nicest guy in the world (laughs) and then Mm -hmm. we moved on a bit because of course amanda was much more loving but that here's tom just like stuck in this place emotionally with uh with a father that he feels doesn't care for him.
1: You know, I I think that the letters are really interesting as a, as a plot and storytelling device because they're very personal. And one of the things that I think that we all maybe have experienced or are still experiencing in our personal and professional lives, how well do we actually really know the people that we work with Hmm. that we socialize with on a daily basis that we see and we pass through the corridors every day say hello how are you everything's great kind of like maybe share an anecdote or two around the water cooler but how well do you really know the people that are in your life and i think that that we, we talked we talked about this and, and touched about it on uh, star trek five you know with the sequences where you know kirk spock and mccoy they- they're shown these very deep and very personal moments and Cybok asks them don't you know this about your friends don't you know that these are Mm -hmm. who your friends are Mm -hmm. you know these are some of their deepest and most personal moments you know and kirk's like no i I don't i don't know any of this about them yeah so when neelix apparently you know read something very secret about tuvok i mean there's almost an intrusive quality to that where like you know that's none of your business yeah. Right. Reading that's none of yeah. your business. Now I know the reason why they did it is because to play it for a comedic effect. But at the same time, though, it's also the same reaction that Tom had to Blanca. It's like, Blanca, I love you, but my relationship with my father is none of your business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's none of your business. I put that past behind me. The person that disappeared four years ago on Voyager, that gave me a freedom that I've never had before. Right. And
2: and, and that's so interesting just because, you know, the whole premise of this show is, Oh, my God, they're lost. They're 70 years at maximum warp from Earth. Our sole mission is to get home. But out of that 140 plus people, there has to be some on board who think, I I, I don't have it better at home. I got it better here. I have purpose. I have comrades, I have friends, I have adventure. I have, yes, they're incredible risks, <laughs> obviously. Sure. Uh, they're making enemies at every turn. But I love that there is at least one character here who we're exploring who says, I, I don't think, I, not that he would sabotage the mission to go back home, but just no, to no, express, no. yeah, but just to express the idea, like I actually have it better here. Right, yeah. and
1: that, I, I love that that's a reality for him. And for some people, because,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, no hopes, no disappointments. Sure, that sounds cold and callous and maybe a little cynical, but is that necessarily a bad thing Like mm. right? when you really think about it, right? Hope is like any belief system. It's simply that. It's an mm-hmm. intangible, right? At times, we surrender the entirety of our emotional selves into hope that maybe we rely on it too much. Hopefully, again, to see if an outcome of something that's entirely out of our control actually materializes. That's what hope is. Yeah. Right? There there are no factual parameters that influence hope. It's just a belief that something's going to happen that's not necessarily in anyone's control or in anyone's destiny or fate. So Tom's like, you know what? I can actually wipe my slate clean and begin a better life for myself, free from the shackles of my past. Has nothing to do with hope or going back home. And let's, let's kind of like, you know, digress into that whole holding out hope to get home 70,000 light years away or now 60,000 light years away, because we know biologically most of the crew is not going to survive that mission. So yeah. where is the hope? Yeah. Like they, they hope that they're going to get to what, 30,000 light years away?
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Well, and, and I guess with Tom, You know, I I guess the disconnect maybe is, yes, he has figured out that he's got it better here, but also why has he got it better here? He has managed to connect with people in a way that he hadn't before, and he has found purpose professionally in a way that he hasn't before. So I think the disconnect is, well, why do you feel like you can't have that, though, if you're somewhere else? Like you've proven it to yourself that you can do it. Given the circumstance and the circumstance doesn't necessarily have to be 70,000 light years from home, but it has to do with applying yourself and being with the right people and maybe opening up in a way to those people. Because uh, Tom has run hot and cold with the amount that he is warmed up to others versus having these barriers around him, you know, And, and that's why I love. I love that we get moments and look, I've come down hard on Bellana with some of her uh, prickliness in some of these episodes and particularly the way that she's treated Harry Kim. But I love that we get these words of advice from her delivered toward Tom. And And it's really all about living in the moment. You know, she's trying to say to him, look, you, you don't know, you don't know what this message says. You're only making this up. You, you're anticipating something for which you have no factual basis. All that you have is who you are right now. And I think that's really sage advice. And What's that, that old saying that if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're at peace, you're living in the present. Now, I, I do think, let me give that a little bit of a caveat, I think our mental states are a bit more complicated than just that, and I don't mean to take away from the very real experience that people who deal with depression and anxiety experience, but what I do think is that there is a reality check that Tom has here from Bellana's words, and and honestly, maybe he's halfway there anyway. Um that he just, he, he can't make a conclusion based on incomplete information. And even if it did come through, like like imagine that, even if a message did come through that was, oh, maybe not hateful, but dismissive. It's, it's the same old Admiral Owen Paris that he was expecting. All right, right. Look at what he's done so far. Look at where he is now living in the present. In the present, he is a needed member of the crew, he is talented at what he does, and he's got this budding relationship with
1: Balana. But see, I think that that's where like Tom's story, I think, is so real, because up until this point, and I know that the letters symbolize hope, but up until this mm-hmm. point, Tom is a free man. He's free to make his own decisions. He's free to forge his own destiny. Mm-hmm. He is not bogged down or weighed down by the... If I make the decision, what is my father going to say? What are the repercussions of my decisions or my actions to my father's career? That is the ghost of the past that has always haunted him, right? That's Mm -hmm. he is a blight on his father's career. He's not a son. You know, he's not uh, he's not family anymore. He is a stain on his father's. Um, You know Sterling career And Tom is like Freed of that 70,000 light years away He can do the best That he can do For the crew That he wants to love And protect His found family And then this letter Comes up Yeah And it brings it all Back It is a ball And chain To his life Yeah you know, oh, and
2: he's, he is entitled to that feeling. I, I'll tell you, but I, but I'm glad yeah. that he gets the advice that he does. <laughs> well, sure. And I mean, he's it's got another the, pers- and he's got the support there that he needs too.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it's an, obviously it's another way of looking at things, but I also think that Tom has a very legitimate point when he says to Harry, "It's like, hey, you know what? If you don't set your hopes up to be dashed, no harm, no foul. You don't get hurt. Right? Yeah. It's not a. It's not necessarily a bad thing to have. It's a reality check because Harry is a little more pie in the sky." But you know that's, yeah. that's it's a little it's a little unrealistic. Like oh my gosh, like gee golly Willikers! Like yeah. I'm gonna get something for my family and everything's gonna be hunky dory, except that you're sixty thousand light years away. Still.
2: <laughs> but but right? then if you if you decide, and I don't think that Tom expresses that all the time, but if you don't have hopes, you know he he's playing this moment where he's kind of being the tough, emotionless. He doesn't care, whatever. But uh, he does have hopes, like, like, He is a guy who hopes that his relationship with Bellana will grow and continue to play out. He's somebody who hopes that even if he doesn't really care about getting home, the mission of the ship and those other people are to get home. And I think he cares mm-hmm. about them. So if, if he truly felt like, oh, I'll, I'll just walk around under the pretense of having no hopes— well, then, you know, how does he know when he's lived up to any of those? How does he know when he's, you know, without a hope there, then what goals, what, what dreams does he sort of forfeit if he's not allowing himself to have some desire or belief beyond just the moment?
1: I'm glad you brought up those in, in the same category, hopes and goals and dreams, because mm-hmm. I do have something to say about that later okay. on All you know, right. in the wrap-up. But um, here's something that I wanted to pivot to uh, when it comes to Chakotay's letter and oh, right. you know, response to the Maquis. So do you think that this letter was placed in such a way, in the context of this episode, that basically it gives the finality to the end of the Maquis storyline in Voyager? It's just like, that's it. We're done with the Maquis. We don't have to reference this anymore because they've been crushed by the Dominion over there in Deep Space Nine in the you know, in our sister yeah, series. Yeah. And then that's it. We're done.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting question because from a production point of view, you could say that like, oh, we we gave it finality, therefore we're done with it. But we've barely explored anything about the Maquis since season one and even then just for a minute you know every now and then something would come up. there'd be a mention but but really it's of no substance now not only are we bringing it up but we're actually giving it substance and mm-hmm. we're reminding the audience that at least these two central characters and presumably others who were on the ship who were not seeing have this emotional tie to their life in the Maquis, and it really defines part of who they are. So I, I, I kind of wondered the same thing. Why like, are we just bringing it up to be done with it? Because if we are, we're bringing it up in a way that actually gives it a lot of emotional resonance. Sure. Um, no. So I, yeah. I, I kind of hope that we're not completely done with it here, because we, we did just get some really strong moments out of Chakotay and Bellana by by revisiting that.
1: I guess it really depends on, like, you know, what does the Maquis mean out there anymore? Like, it was something that if they returned and and made it back and they were still alive and they made it back to the Alpha Quadrant, would they just rejoin their Maquis cell, which has, you know, I mean, right. moved on. Like, these people yeah. would have moved on. They would have had lives of their own, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that the interesting thing about these letters is, like, it's it's a snapshot in time where time is no longer relative to... The lives that are being led by the people that were left behind and the lives that are being led by the people on Voyager, because obviously time, space and distance are going to like change how they they move, you know, um, in concert with each other. You know, it's the relativity theory. Yeah. So, again, it's like I, I understand that. You know, you can warp speed and you can do all the stuff that breaks all of Einstein's theories of relativity, that everyone's going to be aging at the same (laughs) rate, you know, no no matter how far away from Earth that you actually go. Right. But even so, 60,000 light years is still a lot of time. What is the hope of the people on Voyager returning to their families in their lifetime?
2: right well that's what's so interesting because no matter how you slice it whether they're my key or not it's just people stuck on a ship there has to be a bit of an identity crisis that goes along with it you know Um, from the beginning Janeway says you know we're still Starfleet okay Yeah, you can say that all day long, but what does that actually mean when there is no Starfleet anywhere near you? Now Mm -hmm. we have the pretense of, well, at least we have a little bit of connection, communication. They know we're here. We know they're there. That's fine. But say that hadn't happened. Okay. Complicate that even further by people who were on the outs with the Federation when they had chosen to be Maquis. When they got back home, okay, the, there is the relief of getting back home, but there's also the worry that, well, maybe we're going to have a place to belong or maybe we're going to be treated as criminals. What do I do? I come back to Earth and then immediately hop on another ship to take me back into what is presumed my key territory. Well, now this bit of news pulls the carpet out from underneath all of that. So yeah. who are they when they... Are these Maquis crew members still going to have Maquis pins on their uniforms? Because there's no more Maquis. Yeah, like if they roll up
1: into Starfleet, all of a sudden it's like, well, we've survived and we've served Voyager like honorably and with distinction. But now you go to jail. Yeah. Right. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So or, or you get tried at least, you know, for the crimes that you were again when you're Maquis. But again, that's that's a, a farther different, larger discussion. I do want to talk about though something that I, I thought would have been really interesting to have seen in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is where, like, take all of the shenanigans that was going on with Harry and Bellana, and like, hey, like, you know, we're here to see seven of nine, because let's just beat that funny dead horse into the ground. Yeah, take that time as a writer and write something I thought that, and, and maybe put something or interject something that had a little bit more emotional weight. And this was give Janeway a stack of pads to crew members who didn't make it.
2: Oh, wow. Right. That would be heavy.
1: Like Neelix yeah. said that I've, that goes, Neelix goes, puts it on her desk and says, what yeah. are these? I'm like, they're not with us anymore, but their families didn't know that. Ooh. Yeah. Right. And then she maybe has is sitting there like writing letters, like yeah. You know, or, or those letters that she didn't want to send, now she has to send because yeah. those families reached out. Right. Right. And like that's that's something that I think that this era of Star Trek pre nine eleven never really embraced and that and that's that really difficult emotional, traumatic Catharsis, you know, that that you need to sell an emotional story like this. Yeah, I mean, I understand that Janeway had her obviously her her shift, you know, with her relationship with Mark, and I'm sure that was devastating to her personally. But I know that you know every series has those moments where the captain has to deal with crew members who died Mm -hmm. under their command. Like Pike said, like I am tired of you know being responsible for who lives and who dies. And I think that that's a moment where like. Letters that can't continue, letters that don't reach their family members, would have been incredibly powerful to see.
0: Why didn't Neelix read a letter to Baxter? Here, I'll do it. Dear Baxter, do you even still live? Bro?
2: All right, we have survived the Hunters, and uh, we are on our way to the end of the show here to figure out the morals, meanings, messages, but first a little pit stop to ask each other if the episode holds up. So, Norman, does Hunters, in your estimation, hold up?
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about the title. We haven't played the title game in a while, and obviously the Herogian Hunters were literally yeah. the Hunters in this episode. Yep. But do you think the... The title is applicable to hunters of hope or hunters of what those letters stood for, like hunters of, you know, peace or trying to find some kind of resolution to their lives.
2: I like that. I like that a lot because there is, again, like an urgency to the mission to get those letters like that. That is the all important thing. Right now for for the crew of Voyager, even before they know about oh the the interesting mechanics of the relay station before they know anything about the erosion. It's just like this desperation to get a taste of home and they will they they will hunt it down to get Mm -hmm. to it, even if it means endangering the ship. Yeah. So, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot.
1: You know, I mean, aside from seeing more character development, which I think was really well done in this episode. I think if we saw more of that, and maybe less time spent on the Hirogen, which I think could have been cut by half, mm. because you mm. know we we saw the enemies that were made in Message in a Bottle. We saw that Seven attacked one of them, you know, yeah. in a way. So we know that the Hirogen are coming, and it's not that they're unidentified because they actually identified themselves on screen in Message in a Bottle. Mm-hmm. So I think that if you just took away some of the predator type stuff and mm-hmm. maybe added a little bit more like emotional development with the characters with these letters. I think that this episode would have been really excellent. I think it's a good episode. And mm-hmm. I think this episode's a good reminder of why Voyager works as a series. You have this ship and you have this crew that's kept afloat by holding out hope and having that hope dashed right before their eyes, right to the point where all hope is lost. It, then it gets rekindled and then the re- cycle repeats itself so I, I think that in doing so and seeing that wash rinse and repeat cycle of hope i think that allows us to empathize with the characters when they kind of their expectations rise and fall and we see that because as human beings that exact same dynamic has happened to us now yeah you can only tease the audience with this kind of an ask so many times before the audience becomes calloused with it you know, it's like, oh, of course, this is going to happen because we've seen this happen so many episodes ago. But I think this episode walks a really good tightrope between asking too much and not delivering enough. Because with that letter, adding the letter dynamic and adding the tangible hope that's there changes the paradigm of hopelessness into something that actually gives the, um, the characters something emotional to anchor themselves to. And I think that's important. Mm. I also like that uh, that Starfleet knows that they're alive, you know, that there's this new dynamic in the background and they're trying to reconcile how to get Voyager back. But also the families and the loved ones, you know, from the crew, they actually can go to Starfleet and say, what are you doing about it? No longer are they lost. No longer is there this unknown or this, you know, this uh, a grave with like, you know, with no one inside of it. You know, there's actually people that are there that are stranded. And how do you get them back home? I really like that there are these elements in this episode. I just wish that they, they had more of an emotional impact for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, dealing with, uh, with Janeway, dealing with the possibility that she could never actually deliver those letters to her fallen crewman yeah. would have just— I think it would have made it just a little bit more emotionally connective and put more weight on her as a commander and what she's suffered because of a situation that is out of her control. And that's the thing about hopes. Like, it's not in your control, yeah, right? It's just, it's a manifestation of a a belief that you can control something that you can't. And I think that for her, that would have been a really good reality check.
2: You know, it's interesting, as you were saying that, I wondered if there was any point in the development of this episode that they felt like, You know, we could just go really out of left field here and do an episode that is tonally so different and not have any bad guy alien of the week, not have any action adventure plot at all, and just do the story about these people getting letters. You know, like mash would do shows like that. Totally. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I wonder if that was ever a gleam in these producers eyes to think we could just do something that, that sits singularly on its own and feels very different, but that's okay because it gives us this spotlight on the emotional lives of the characters. You know, I mean,
1: think about like they cut away from Tuvok's reaction to what his son has just experienced too quickly a huge
2: point yes like in a yes. Vulcan male's
1: like his first pond fart like in in any yeah. marriage you know yeah like that's important and like how does that sit with Tuvok right like obviously Tuvok was kind of like Tom with Neelix he's like he was being a little aloof he was being a little distant he's like I'll get to it when I get to it but you know yeah. that something that's significant is going to affect him even as a Vulcan yeah. you know that's important and they didn't go that extra mile in this episode to really dig deep into why and, right and, and who would he talk to about it Janeway right Right, Seven. Right. You know, like yeah. that would have been interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the fun part about this part of our show the, and asking ourselves a question, does it hold up? We kind of get to make our own rules for what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, does it hold up from a, in our estimation, you know, storytelling or or character wise or, or whatever. We get to bring our own baggage and our own criteria for that. I'm going to say that this episode holds up very well partly because it is so critical to the overall arc of Voyager. It is so critical to understanding what the overall mission is and getting us from way back in season one with the pilot with Caretaker. You know, what actually happens to these people when they are that far away for that long from anything that resembles home? So... Even if this episode has some flaws in it, which I'll get into in just a moment, I think it's one of those critical episodes in terms of does it hold up? Because it really helps to complete the story, and it helps you to complete your understanding of who the characters are at this point. So um, I think it's very strong in that, and I, and I can't help but say that it holds up for me In in that way. And it's kind of nice to see an episode that is a direct sequel to another episode to message in a bottle. It's a nice transition to come from the comedy of that one and and that final emotional note, which is a bit of a tease for what we get here. And what we get here drives home that poignancy, and then ramps it up with well some tension and action which which we can talk about and now look i I had fun making fun of the tech in this episode, but Norman, very much to your point that you made earlier on, let me tell you now that i wouldn 't have this any other way <laughs> so so everybody can relax. They perfectly captured that feeling of all those wartime movies where mail call is the, mo- the 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 emotional highlight of the day for the GIs who are separated from their families and I love it. I can absolutely allow my suspension of disbelief to take me there because dramatically it works so well. Each character they're given truly solid moments and this is the kind of episode I've been waiting for. You know, even 7 who has no connection to Earth, so she thinks, gets her moment here. And then Tuvok, who was so unemotional about it all—I agree with you, Norman, we should have lingered there a little bit longer—but he still clearly has this bond with his family, and that's beautiful to see and at least imagine the rest of it. And it's moments like that that, for me, really put Tuvok second only to Spock in terms of depth— that, that we've really gotten a bond out of an alien character. Uh, just feel like it, that's in the, the finest tradition of Star Trek. Now, look, we didn't talk too much about the shipping going on here, the uh, Janeway-Chakotay story, which I think is very interesting to see that we have revisited that kind of askew. But I really like those moments that they get, because they give a little more resonance, not only to what's happening here, but to what we saw back in resolutions, because it really reveals that there was a, a bit of Way's psychology that was struggling with her feelings for Mark versus the reality of her situation here in the Delta Quadrant. And as much as maybe we've talked in the past about Janeway's perceived perfection, she's the character who can do no wrong. This is just one of those moments in her life where maybe no answer is the perfect one. No, what should she pursue? What should she have done? Is it wrong or right to hold on to here's a word again, that hope? There's just no good answer to that. And I really like that Jerry Taylor took the helm on this one because it felt like those moments of promise and and many more that were really grounded in character notes from early on, it felt like a lot of those had gotten forgotten for a couple of seasons. And now we got them back. And that feels very good to me. Um, no, it's
1: interesting, John, that um, both you and I have brought up independently mm-hmm. resolutions, you know, as a reference yes. point, that yes. episode is more important. I think to this series than I think a lot of people realize
2: it's easy to dismiss when it's on its own. Mm-hmm. But then you come back to this, but it's got such an interesting ending with them just kind of deciding like, well, we're, we're just coworkers now. But then you come back to this and you realize, well, wait a minute, here's all the emotional life that was happening that we didn't see. Mm-hmm. I hate that it took us that long to get here because I, I wish that those little moments uh, it, and not just for them, but for all of these characters had been sprinkled throughout. Yeah. You know, and that uh, honestly brings me to my last kind of negative note on this show, uh, on this episode, which is that on rewatch, I think you get hit with the pacing problems here. It, it's a little weird. Like you have these long stretches of pretty normal life on Voyager and that very long act two, and then you get these short sequences with the Hirogen that that are very short scenes but then they cram them all into the last couple of acts so it it becomes this weird balancing act and and it becomes a lot more obvious the more you watch the episodes if you're like us and you're watching it over and over again that that becomes a lot more apparent but honestly it doesn't take away from my first very positive impression of this episode, because I think there's so much heart and depth to it. And, you know, with that, I'll just jump into my morals, meanings, messages, because I don't think that you have to have a lot here. I think that there's just, again, these nice character moments that we get to sit with, and we get to live the emotional depth of some of these characters, and see them navigate that in the episode instead of what a lot of tv shows at the time do you just get a character from point a to point b well no no like these are characters who are kind of making some missteps along the way too and that's really cool to see but i think my message here is really the message that balana delivers to tom And it may not always be right for every situation, but it really worked here. And and I think it's worth taking with some gravity, if if you'll (laughs) allow that term, uh, given the context of this episode. And and that is, there is no time like right now. That, that time now, that is your reality. And it doesn't mean that the past doesn't inform who we are uh, or we have uh, emotional resonance. But right now, is what's important it is what's important for Janeway and for Tom Paris and for everyone who perhaps left something behind in their lives up to this point because that trade-off then is making new relationships really count and making those new emotional bonds really worthwhile and deciding what is important to your well-being right now how about you Norman
1: Two things just popped up in my head when you were talking about that, and I think that was wonderful, mm-hmm. John. Now I need to listen to Right Now by Van Halen.
2: <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> um,
1: and uh, there's that scene in Titanic where where Jack, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, mm-hmm. is basically saying, like, you know, for – a, a toast for living in the moment, you know, for the mm-hmm. here and now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important, you know, because that's what hope – May manipulate, and that 's where I found like a memorial meaning or message, and I think it 's more of just a mm-hmm. a, a message that y- you look at hope as faith or hope as a goal. I did some research on this because I wanted to see like I wanted to see or seek out professional opinions on this, so I found this specific passage from Psychology today it was posted july twenty fifth two thousand and eighteen from the blog. Evolution of the Self by Leon F. Seltzer, PhD, who holds doctorates in both English and psychology. Hmm. His article is titled, Seven Downsides of Hope. There's good hope and bad hope. Here's how it can be harmful and sabotage you. Wow. Okay. Now, it's the seventh downside that I found of particular relevance to this episode and perhaps to Voyager as a series as well. Point seven. Hope can set us up for hopelessness. Quote, When hope is defeated, and possibly repeatedly defeated, it's vulnerable to be replaced by hopelessness or downright despair, which means the complete absence of hope. And once hope weakens or vanishes, it's all the harder to take action that could be effective in helping you reach your goals. On the contrary, if you proceed in your endeavors without hope, Independently striving to accomplish whatever objectives you set for yourself, you'll be taking full responsibility for your future. And regardless of whether you succeed or fail, you'll be able to attest to and maybe even congratulate yourself for all the industry, zeal, and perseverance you put into your attempts. Hmm. That's finally far more informative than the helplessly depending on providence to enable you to overcome personal obstacles. Though putting your trust in hope can be extremely tempting, diligently applying yourself to what you most care about is a much more reliable way to prosper in life. End quote. Now this goes, wow. this goes directly to yeah, what Tom was saying. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, I don't really want to hold out for this because the life that I'm living now is my best life because I'm applying myself. The goals for myself, at least in terms of Tom's uh, you know, opinion of his, you know, of his career there, it's like, I want to be the best pilot possible. I want to be the best relationship that I'm in with Bellana possible. I want to be the best crew member, the most trusted crew member. I want to be Harry's friend. I want to live my life the way that I think I should. These are my goals. They're not Starfleet's goals. They're not my father's goals. They're my goals. And as long as I can hold on to those goals, I'm living my best life, not Hope's version of my best life, not someone else's version of my best life, my best life right here and now. And I think that that's where I feel like this is like the emotional turning point for Janeway and the crew. Like after knowing that whatever hope that they had to their loved ones that they held on to, the reality, like you said, John, is that life continues to move forward and that You know, the life that you live right now is the reality. And I think it's noble to believe in something like hope, but I think it's also constructive to continue to empower yourself with goals and achieving those goals. Because I think that both of them, if you strike the right balance, it's just better for your emotional and mental well-being. It's much to like what Gene said, and I'm paraphrasing this, that humans, you know, they succeed because they're clever and they work hard.
2: Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, pray.
0: Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com. Special thanks to consulting producers, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, Tom Kozak, Julie Miller, Mike Richards, Mike Shabble, Paul Shadwell, and David Takechi. It must be tough to know that your entire resistance cell is gone, while somewhere in the alpha quadrant... Chief O'Brien's pants and door and transmission. This is a Rottenberry Podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.rottenberry.com